The text that I would like to call your attention to today can be found in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, we read in God's inerrant word. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and makes the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its truth on our hearts this morning. Father, we praise you for your revelation to us in written form today, that we don't have to wonder, that we don't have to wander about aimlessly wondering who you are and how you would have us to live and how we are redeemed and brought into right relation with you, but you have told us, you have given us your word. Father, I pray you would write it on each heart here today. God, I pray that you would give us new understanding of your love for us and of who we are to be in light of that. God, I pray that you would call the lost here among us to yourself today graciously according to your will. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, do you ever find yourself in a fog? Confused. You don't know which way to turn. Does the path ahead seem dark and unknown? Well, it's exactly into these kind of confusion, darkness, and fogs that God sends his prophets to bring light. Into confusion, God's prophets speak truth and give direction. Though not a biblical prophet, one man I think about when I think about someone who has sent to the church to help understand the Christian faith, to understand God's word, is John Calvin. Now, he's most remembered for the system of theology that bears his name, although I think he would, be, uh, he would probably have disdain for that name, given the fact he is buried in an unmarked grave because he didn't want people to make pilgrimages to him. But Calvin was born in 1509 in France and was raised a Roman Catholic. At 14, he was sent to the University of Paris, where he studied theology and later earned a law degree. Calvin was introduced to Protestant theology by his Greek professor, who was a closet Lutheran. Later, a converted and confirmed Protestant, in 1534, Calvin was forced to flee Paris for his life under persecution in which Protestants were being imprisoned and some were even burned alive. He went on to minister in Geneva, Switzerland, until his death at the age of 55 in 1564. 
Now, it's said on Calvin's deathbed that he was still working on his Bible commentaries. And his friends begged him to put aside his work and to rest. And he said to them, quote, Would you have my Lord find me idle when he comes to take me? The heart of a man who cared about the church understanding God's word. Calvin is a rare breed of churchman because he is respected by both theologians and modern commentators, modern Bible scholars. It's said that men study the works of people like Augustine and Martin Luther and Karl Barth because they want to understand the mindset and philosophy of Martin Luther, Augustine, and Karl Barth. But men study the works and commentaries of John Calvin when they want to know the Bible. God gifted Calvin with an uncanny ability to understand the Scriptures and then write in such a way that the church could understand him. His Institutes of Christian Theology, his theological work, was not written to theologians, it was written to the church. He wrote it so that normal church folks could understand who God is and how they were to live. His commentaries are helpful even to this day to understand the Scriptures. Even though he wrote in the 1500s, he wrote in an accessible way because he wanted everyday people to understand God and the Bible. So why do I bring up Calvin? Well, I bring up Calvin this morning, friends, because he is the first person in church history to introduce this theme of prophet, priest, and king. Now, he did not invent the doctrine. The doctrine was always in the Bible, but he was the first to write about it together, to group these things together and show how they are connected. Now, virtually every modern theological book talks about Jesus Christ as the prophet, priest, and king. I went and looked through every theology book, and I have several on my shelves, and all of them have a section that talks about this. In the Old Testament, Calvin argued that prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with holy oil, and they were the three great offices of the Old Testament church. And we know from the New Testament that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises, and he is the greater and better example of all Old Testament roles. Christ is the better priest. He offered the perfect and final sacrifice for sin and did not have to offer one for his own sin before he did, something we will learn next week in the writer of Hebrews unpacks. Christ is the better king. He is the eternal king from the, Christ, the, the kingly lineage of David. Remember from 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17 where we see that David wants to build a house for God and God says, no, 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 I will build a house for you. From your line will come a king that will rule forever. And today we see that Christ is the better prophet. He brings clarity and completion to our understanding of God's plan, his redemptive plan. Friends, Christ is the true prophet. God has revealed his will to mankind. And as we see in today's text, in the Old Covenant, God revealed his will through chosen men. And second, we will see in the New Covenant, God revealed His will through His Son. Now, I read all four of those first verses on purpose. We're only going to look at the first two for our sermon today. But I read all four because in these first four verses, we see the prophet, priest, and king theme. I just want you to look real quick. We'll talk about the prophet, but if you look down to uh, verse 3, 
we see that after making purification for sins, so after this, this better and perfect priest made purification for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. As a king, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. In the book of Hebrews, the main theme throughout is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Christ is the better and greater Adam. Where Adam, the first man, failed, the second Adam, who is truly man, succeeded in faithfully honoring his father. Christ is the better and greater Moses. Christ is the better and more perfect priest. Hebrews teaches us that the old covenant is made obsolete by the new covenant that Christ introduces. Hebrews shows us that Christ is superior to every character, to every role, to every covenant of the Old Testament. He is the terminus of God's redemptive plan. And in these first verses of Hebrews, the author draws a sharp line between the prophets of old and the true prophet, Jesus Christ. First thing we see is that in the Old Covenant, God revealed His will through chosen men. Look with me at verse 1. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Now, who were the prophets? Well, the Old Testament prophets were men chosen by God and raised up to confront their time with God's truth, with words and revelation from God. They knew they spoke for God because God had called them. Their message they received from God gave them authority. Even when these men were beaten and jailed and mistreated and ostracized, they persisted in their message because they knew it was from God. It didn't matter what the world around did to them. They knew they had God's word. And they persisted. These Old Testament prophets were men that God chose and communicated through. They served the purpose of revealing God's will to mankind. The Old Testament prophets speak with clarity from God and they say things such as, this is what the Lord says. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. Listen to me, O house of Israel. They spoke for God with direct revelation from God. And when God speaks, His people listen. One of my favorite Old Testament prophets is Amos. I first really learned about Amos in seminary when we had to read through the entire Old Testament and study the main themes of each book of the Bible. And Amos was always interesting to me because he didn't go to prophet school. You know, many of these prophets, they were raised up in a, in a prophetic Old Testament school. But not Amos. Amos was a farmer from Israel's southern kingdom. At this time in Israel's history, they're divided into the northern and the southern kingdom. And Amos is a farmer. He has a sheep herd. He has an orchard in the southern kingdom. And God calls him and sends him to the northern kingdom to call out their idolatry. God calls this farmer and sends him to the northern kingdom to call them to repentance. And then when Amos had given them the message from God, he went back to being a farmer. The prophets called God's people to repentance and they revealed truth about Christ. 
just in little snippets here and there, we see in the Old Testament. We never get the full picture of what Christ will be like from one prophet. Before the gospel, God spoke to people under the Old Covenant in different times and in different ways. And what we see is a gradual revelation of the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. Through Adam, we learn that Christ would come from the seed of woman. Through Abraham, we learn that Christ would come from his line. Through Jacob, we learn that Christ would be of the tribe of Judah. From David, we learn that he would be an eternal king from David's household. From Micah, we see that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. And from Isaiah, we see that Christ would be born of a virgin. However, none of these men were given the full picture. They were preparing the way for the most important message. The message from the true prophet. Now, when we think of Old Testament prophets, the first example we have is Moses. Moses is the first example of an Old Testament prophet. He spoke to Pharaoh from God. He spoke from God to the people of God. And Moses tells us in Deuteronomy 8.15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers, and you must listen to him. Now, there are many prophets in the Old Testament. We have Isaiah, we have Jeremiah, we have Amos, we have Nehemiah, we have Habakkuk, we have all of these different prophets. However, we read in the Old Testament that there is an expectation of a prophet like Moses, one who would lead God's people, one who would provide guidance to God's people. And we find in the Bible that Moses is merely a faithful servant in God's household. But the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ was and is the faithful son over God's household. Jesus Christ would lead his people out of bondage to sin, whereas Moses led them out of bondage to Pharaoh. Jesus Christ leads his people out of bondage from sin, and his blood marks their doorposts so that when death sees it, he passes over. Friends, God's spokesmen, the prophets, were merely servants for the proclamation of his final word. God sent his son. So the second thing we see is that in the New Covenant, God reveals His will through His Son. Look with me at the first part of verse 2. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Friends, the advent of Christ ushered in the last days. In these last times, in these last days, your translation may say. Here we read that in these last days, God spoke to us by His Son. In the first chapter of Mark, we read that Christ preached, the time is fulfilled. In the the, the due amount of time, God sent forth His Son. These are the last days. None of the Messianic prophecy in the Old Testament gave God's people the full picture of the redemptive plan. But in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, to preach the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying world. And we now know the full story. That final age has dawned. The light has come. The light that the darkness would not overtake. 
that we read about a couple of weeks ago. In Zechariah's poem in Luke's gospel, we see that because of God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness. Men and women in history walked in darkness, in the shadow of death, until the preexistent word broke into human history. Christ is the light that shone into the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome the light. The scriptures progress, friends, from promise to fulfillment. In the Old Testament, we are promised the seed of woman that will crush the head of the serpent. In the Old Testament, we find out little pieces of how God will redeem his people. Little pieces of what the Messiah will be. And in the New Testament, we find that promise fulfilled. God doesn't make promises that he does not fulfill. And in the Old Testament, we see that God will one day redeem his people, that he will crush the Son for our sin. And in the New Testament, we find those promises fulfilled. The story of the Bible progresses to Christ. It does not progress beyond him. He is the terminus of God's redemptive plan. Christ is the fullness of God's message, and in these last days, he speaks by his Son, as we read here in Hebrews. We see that Christ is the true prophet. He is the true light in the darkness. In Deuteronomy, we read that Christ is the foretold coming prophet. In Luke 13, 33, we see that Christ speaks of himself as a prophet when he says, it is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day, because it is not possible for a prophet to die outside of Jerusalem. In John 8, we see that Christ asserts he brings a message from God the Father. Throughout the gospel accounts, he foretells the future as one who knows. In the gospel accounts, Christ is recognized as a prophet. In Matthew 21, we see the crowds in Jerusalem call him a prophet. In Luke 7, 16, he raises a young woman from the dead, and the crowd exclaims, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. In Luke 14, we see that Jesus is called a prophet, powerful in speech and action. And in John 4, 19, the woman at the well calls Jesus a prophet. Friends, while liberal Christianity would have you believe that Jesus is just a good teacher, the Bible is clear that Jesus is the true prophet of God. While some would have you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? We should be asking ourselves, what did Jesus, the true prophet, command? Because his commands are true and perfect and trustworthy. And as we think about how to live in light of the true prophet, friends, I have four particulars about revelation the church must embrace today. Four particulars about revelation the church must embrace today. And the first one is that revelation, or the fact that God has spoken, is an affirmation that is basic to the Christian faith. And you may think that's Okay, so what? That's an unneeded comment. Friends, deism says God created the universe and walked away. He just walked away and everything's kind of whatever we make of it. But we see in Christianity, and Christianity has always affirmed, that God has spoken to his creation. God communicates 
with what he has created. He is not silent, as Francis Schaeffer says. God has revealed himself to his creation. Carl F.H. Henry wrote, Revelation is a divinely enacted, initiated activity. God's free communication by which he alone turns his personal privacy into deliberate disclosure of his reality. Friends, the fact that God speaks to his creation is basic to Christianity. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. Basic Christianity, historic Christianity. God's revelation to his creation is truth. There is no alternative truth. There is no relative truth. There is truth that the creator lays out uncompromising. When God speaks, his sheep hear his voice. And true Christians follow God's word. Second, Christ is the fullness of revelation. Christ is the most excellent messenger that was ever sent to the world. Christ is superior to the ancient prophets. Christ is superior to the angels. Christ himself is the eternal word. He is the logos, the word made flesh, the ultimate revelation of God, because God reveals himself through his word, through his son. Now, that is not to say, we must be precise, that the words of red mean more than the words of black, if you have one of those Bibles. We do not pit the words of Jesus in red over the words of black because Jesus is fully God. All of the Bible is God-breathed. So that means when we read Deuteronomy 8, we read Christ. Just as much as 3.16, John 3.16. But what I am saying is that the full picture of God's redemptive plan is found in Jesus Christ. Once the Father spoke through chosen fallen men to reveal His will, and now the Father has spoken through His perfect Son, Christ, the true prophet, is the fullness of God's revelation to man. Third, the fact that these are the last times means that we should expect no further revelation. As they say on the social medias, let me say it again one more time for those in the back. The fact that these are the last time means that we should expect no further revelation. Friends, Scripture is settled and it is sealed. That means if, I, if God were to speak straight to Alan McElroy and say, hey, I have some more stuff for you, here is this, then we should reopen the canon and have the book of First Alan. But that's not going to happen because the Bible is sealed. The canon is closed. There is nothing to be added to God's completed revelation. It's like the song we sing, What more could he say than to you he hath said? The Bible is closed. There are no new elements of God's plan of redemption that need to be revealed. We are no longer kept in suspense about God's plan. The Bible is God's own testimony and instruction to man, and it is perfect and it is complete. We know what it means to be in right standing with God. We know how the story will end. Christ will return and he will win. We know how to live until he returns. Theologian Wayne Grudem says, God's words are spoken through, 
God's words, as spoken through human lips, ceased to be given when the New Testament canon was completed. God's word is his revelation to his creation. God's word is him speaking. The Bible is closed. We do not need fresh revelation. I don't know about you, but I always run across people, and it seems to be in the airport, where they come up and say, well, God told me this. And generally, I smile and, okay. But friends, if God is speaking directly to you, you need to test that spirit, because I promise you it is not the spirit. Now the Spirit helps us to understand that which is already revealed. He illuminates His Scripture to us. All of the Scripture is breathed out by God. And His job now is He illuminates it to us. And this affirmation, friends, means that we as Christians must reject fortune cookie wisdom and seek true light. What do I mean by that? means we must reject the folksy gut wisdom that we often hear and find truth in God's revelation. While many conservative Christians would never outrightly undermine God's revelation, they regularly do it with folksy wisdom. What do I mean by that? Well, a couple of things. One of them is, God helps them who help themselves. Who knows where that comes from? Not the Bible. It comes from poor, poor Tom's Almanac, written by a deist. Another way is, and I hear this one all the time in my ministry, well, it's kind of like my job. Right? Well, this is what the Bible says we should do. But my job as a, as a, a doctor, a scientist, uh, a construction worker, a uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of stuff as a law enforcement officer, anything like that. That's how we should do it. No, friend, no. We do what the Bible says. I do what the Bible says. Well, not perfectly, but you know what I mean. I am going to seek to follow the Bible, though none go with me. Friends, if your illustration you are making is not making clear a scriptural truth, then it is drawing people further from God's revelation. Make sure that your illustration is not just illustrating what you want, but is illustrating what God says. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. When the Scriptures, the Scriptures are our authority, they are our guide, they are sufficient, they are good enough, they are perfect for the church. They teach us how we are to live. We do not need folksy wisdom. We do not need stories from the workplace. Friends, we need God's Word. We need God's Word. Fourth, God's written revelation, the Scriptures, must be preached, taught, and embraced by the Christian church. God's written revelation, the Scriptures, must be preached, taught, and embraced by the Christian church. I was reading just this week about one modern rascal, And this modern rascal says that the contemporary church must remove the, quote, cringe factor of the Bible from worship services. That way, when people invite their unbelieving friends, they don't have to worry about anything, quote, cringy being said. They don't have to worry about sin being called out. 
They don't have to worry about adultery or, or abortion or any of that stuff being called out. They, they don't have to be told that to call to be a Christian is a call to suffer. All the cringy stuff is gone. Friends, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And the norm of our worship must be the Word of God. God's revelation drives what we do and say as His people. And we must not omit certain parts of God's Word to make it palatable to those who are following the ways of the world. Carl Henry, writing in 1976, so eight years before I was born, argued, the word of the Lord is not being sounded in the land as it ought. And without a vision of God and His holy will, people are miring deeper into carnality and spiritual blindness. End quote. 1976. It hasn't gotten any better. How will people know how to live if we are not sounding God's word from our pulpits? How, are we, how is God's church to know how to live if we are not being taught in fellowship halls and in Sunday school rooms and in small groups? Authentic gospel proclamation means that the scriptures are presented as God's perfect and inerrant word. That the fallenness of man and his sin is held up before the world's eyes. That we see that God is sovereign and holy. Authentic gospel proclamation means that the person and work of Christ as taught in the Bible is upheld. An authentic gospel proclamation means that Christ is taught as the only payment for our sins. Friends, the heart of any Christian meeting of a Christian meeting like this, is the faithful proclamation of God's Word. It is not my feelings. It is not group therapy. It is the proclamation of the Word from a holy God who created the entire universe. And there will be a great deal of cringe factor in that proclamation to someone who is blinded by the ways of the world. But to those who are His, to those that are truly His, it is the words of life. You remember Jesus, when He preached what happened to Him. They attempted to throw Him off a cliff. Another time, many of His disciples left. And He turned to those who stayed and said, aren't you going to leave too? And what did they say to Him? Where would we go? You have the words of life. Christ would not shape his message to pander to their tastes. He was God in the flesh. And likewise, every single one of his slaves, every single one of his servants, every preacher and teacher of the gospel do not have the leeway to change God's message, to pander to the tastes of an unbelieving world. They have no leeway to remove the cringe factor of God's revelation. But every Christian preacher is a herald, a messenger for the true prophet, Jesus Christ. Friends, Christ is the true prophet. 
In the Old Covenant, God revealed His will through chosen men. And in the New Covenant, He revealed His will through His Son. The Old Testament is, as B.B. Warfield once stated, a room dimly litten. Lit. The introduction of light into that room brings nothing that was not there before, but makes clear. Through the Old Testament prophets, God taught His people much about His plan. And in Christ, the dawn broke into human history and shed light. He is the revelation that lights the room and reveals God's plan of redemption. As Calvin said, the perfect doctrine that Christ brought made an end to all prophecies. A prophet is one who reveals God's truth and reveals God to us, and Christ is the true prophet. He is the terminus of God's plan. In this Advent season, friends, may we rejoice and praise God that 2,000 years ago, the light dawned on human history. The light that the darkness will not overcome. The light that illuminates God's perfect plan. Christ is the true prophet. Father, we praise you this morning that in your sovereignty, you were not willing to leave us to ourselves. God, but that you sent forth your Son in the fullness of time. Father, that we are not wandering around aimlessly trying to figure out who you are, or what you are like, or, or, or your plan for us, or to how to be in right relation with you, God, but we merely need to take up and read because you have provided it for us. May we be a church that clings and lashes ourselves to your word. May the true Christians among us have a renewed heart for your word. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.